Welcome to the Black and Green Podcast. It's your go-to place to find the latest high-quality, all-natural products created by Black artisans. Hosted by yours truly, Dr. Kristen H., the founder of Black and Green, we'll discuss all things health, wellness, self-care, and of course, self-love. This podcast features a refreshing lineup of guests, from entrepreneurs and artisans to holistic lifestylists and clean beauty experts and a plethora of other innovators within the wellness industry. Join me as we learn from the best of the best. Welcome back to the Black and Green Podcast. We're so excited to have you guys joining us. Today, we have an amazing special guest. She is not one of our artisans. She is Tinny. She's a PhD candidate at UCLA in environmental science, and she's going to break down everything we need to know about the toxins that are building up in our personal care products. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, very excited to speak with you. So you have to tell the story about how we connected in the very first place. Yeah, so um, I've been a longtime follower of Black and Green. Um, always love to, to see all the various artisans. And, um, you know, I was like, you know, I should just reach out to her and see if um, it would be great to just connect, but also share a little bit about my research um, and sort of these implications of personal care products when it comes to Black women and when it comes to Black salon workers. Uh, so just very excited to be able to connect after just being a longtime follower of Black and Green. Yeah, thank you. I just love, it's like, shoot your shot. Like, you just never know. When I remember when I was an undergrad, I had just read Medical Apartheid, and I loved the book, and I sent her an email, and she responded back, and she was like, well, what do you have in mind? And I had nothing in mind. I was like, oh, my God, I didn't think you were going to email me back. Like, I don't know what to say now. <laughs> exactly. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? Exactly. Exactly. So tell us a little bit about your research and kind of what got you interested in it. Yes. So um, my background is in industrial hygiene, which is um, sort of the uh, anticipation, recognition, um, evaluation and control of workplace hazards. Um, I got my bachelor's in health sciences from California State University, San Bernardino. And um, at that moment, I was really into worker health, um, really into thinking about what you do at work and how that impacts um, your health and your well-being. I started working for a medical manufacturing um, uh, plant, uh, working with women who were literally hand-sewing heart valves um, that would go into surgery. I uh, decided to get my master's at UCLA in environmental health sciences, um, and it was really there I started to learn about what environmental justice was, what um, uh, this intersection of the products that we use, our health and workers. Uh, so I had the opportunity to do an internship with an organization called Black Women for Wellness. And they're based in South Los Angeles, all about the health, well-being of Black women and girls. And it was really there, um, they had been working with Black women and Black salon workers around um, uh, potentially toxic chemicals, impacts to Black women's health um, from a, like a reproductive justice, environmental justice framework. Um, and that was sort of my first foray into uh, what has now been 
six years of research into the products that we use, uh, particularly cosmetic products, how that impacts our health, and also who are the most vulnerable, right? So looking at um, particularly women, we use these products a lot more, um, women of reproductive age, uh, black women, black women uh, use these um use cosmetics uh, more than almost any other ethnicity. We make up 80% of the buyers in ethnic uh, beauty care um, and um, who are the even most vulnerable uh, workers who are working with these products um, on a daily basis. That's awesome. It's interesting because I don't often think of Black women being represented in the space of environmental science and, and kind of environmental justice. How did you get interested in that space in the first place? And how did you recognize that this was one of our issues too? Yeah. So I think that's kind of an interesting one too, because I, um, you know, I had, I got a bachelor's in environmental health sciences uh, and no one had ever really talked about environmental justice. It wasn't until I came to Los Angeles and, and really started to kind of learn a little bit more about what environmental justice is. Um, and I was just incredibly fortunate to have been placed at Black Women for Wellness. I ended up being there for close to three years um, and then managing their environmental justice research and policy program. Um, and through that work, I met some amazing Black women advocates around the environmental space. Unfortunately, when we do think about the environment, environmental health, um, you don't necessarily think about um, uh, Black people being represented. Um, and I think it's just so incredibly important that we need to be at these spaces um, when we look at who is the most impacted by a number of um, environmental issues, be it li uh, living near freeways or um, like product use or, you know, having some of the more, um, I would say, dangerous jobs. Um, you find that it is people of color and, and here in um, Los Angeles, um, um, black and Latino folks, right? And so if you don't have people who look like you that are going to advocate for you, and especially in places like I go to Sacramento or DC, where sometimes they're like, oh, you didn't know black people cared about the environment. And it's like, yes, we do. It's just, we're not necessarily in those spaces where these decisions and conversations are being had. Oh, that's really interesting. I mean, I think it's we're not in this space, and I don't think we even realize what impact the environment was having on our health. And so, you know, at Black and Green, we're really interested in sustainability and the environment more broadly, but really have this focus on the impact that products are having on Black women. Can you just talk to us a little bit about the research? that supports the growing body of research, really, that supports this relationship between toxic chemicals and Black women's products and kind of the impact it's having on our health. Yes. So I think we're in a very interesting time right now where you have researchers both um, uh, in Los Angeles, in um, Washington, D.C., um, Rutgers University, really starting to ask these questions about what are the impacts of um these products that we're using and particularly impacts to black women. Like I mentioned, uh, we outspend almost every other uh, ethnic group. We use um, these products uh, more and there's a kind of 
you know, a lot of history behind that of, of how our, how we wear our hair is politicized, um, just a whole, whole host of race, class, and culture issues into why we tend to use all of these different products, right? Um, but as we've started to look um, into the literature, we've started to really start looking at these products that um, are marketed to and used by Black women, we're finding that they do have some of the most potentially toxic and harmful ingredients. Um, a recent study just came out, um, I would say, just published last year, particularly looking at some of these products that black women are using and finding that um, high rates of endocrine disrupting chemicals, which are chemicals that interfere um, with our hormone systems at certain doses, so could cause potentially reproductive and developmental issues. But finding a lot of these um these chemicals and the products that black women use. And oddly enough, um, and unfortunately, uh, a lot of these restricted chemicals in products marketed to um, black girls. So for example, uh, I think one of the, out of that article, one of the most toxic things they found was like the just for me uh, relaxer kit box, which is marketed to young black girls. So we're seeing these uh, placenta containing uh, um, products marketed to black women. We're seeing higher rates of um, potentially harmful chemicals if folks are interested in things like parabens and phthalates, um, uh, uh, various potentially toxic chemicals. So can you tell us like, what is a paraben? What is a phthalate? Why are they in our products in the first place? Yes. Um, so, uh, so phthalates are um, kind of depending on the product, uh, byproducts of like um, fragrance or um, you can sometimes find phthalate is just actually just in the plastic. Um, so parabens are, um, are uh, preservatives. Uh, so they're essentially put into the product to make it last longer on your shelf. Right. And they're very, diff uh, various different types of parabens. Um, and there's, I think, if we go through the literature, sometimes people focus on a few particular parabens of concern. Um, but these chemicals are in our products for very specific reasons. Right. And so I have this book. It's um, I call it my skincare Bible, but it really does a really great job of when I go out into the community or when I um, go out and talk to legislators of, OK, this is why these particular chemicals are in our product. OK, so let's start talking about, well, alternatives analysis, alternative assessments. Can we start to think about how do we use green chemistry? How do we um use the precautionary principle, which is essentially proving that these um, particular ingredients are safe before they go into our product. Um, and, you know, other countries do, do it a lot better than we do, right? The, U, um, the European Union has about, I think, 1,300, 1,600 chemicals that they're banned from um, personal care products. Canada's got several hundred. I think we're sitting around, like, 2030 right now um and so it's it's how do we start to think about what's going into these various formulations and i'm not a, a formula formulator i'm not a chemist um but there are definitely people out there who are really starting to think about how do we create these alternative chemicals and chemicals aren't all bad <laughs> i think that's something i, I do want to say is that um 
you know, like water is a chemical. There, there are lots of synthetic chemicals that are fine. Um, you know, there's natural stuff that is very harmful to you. Uh, so how do we go about and starting to really think about what we're putting in these products, particularly when it comes to the products used by and marketed to black women? Yeah. Christian? Wow, I was talking for a long time. Okay, so I think what you said at the end is really interesting, and I think it was is what makes it so complicated, is that on one hand, everything that is natural may not be good for you, and everything that's a chemical may not be bad for you, so it can be really yeah. hard to draw a line. I remember when I was deciding to eat clean and trying the whole eating clean thing and eating less packaged foods, you know, some of the ways that they encourage you to try to eat clean was, you know, eat foods in its most natural state. Try to find foods that aren't in boxes or in bags or things that are, are in boxes or bags. Make sure that you can read and understand all of the ingredients to try to kind of clear, steer clear from, uh, you know, chemicals or man-made additives. And I think that that works a lot better with food than it works with your product because sometimes products might have words that you can't pronounce but it's very much a natural ingredient so it's a it's a very hard space for people to navigate definitely i think that um you know in sort of the the chemical world we have various names for one thing right um you know and then even when folks are looking at um sort of quote unquote natural things like the lat a lot of times uh companies will put the latin names of chemicals or um the latin name for lavender or the latin name for shea butter or something like that um on the label and that itself kind of confuses people because they say oh it's really long it must be bad mm. uh but it's, it's not, right? And I think that's the there's a, this kind of fine line, too, because you don't want people to be so afraid of chemicals. Um, there are lots of, lots of good. Um, and so it's this fine line of you want to educate people so they can make very informed decisions. But I do like to say that, um, which is probably one of the biggest, um, my biggest takeaway is that you really shouldn't have to shop our way out of this issue. We really shouldn't have to pick up a a shampoo bottle and kind of sit there and decipher like, okay, do I, does it have parabens? Is parabens something I really care about that I don't want in there? Um, Does it have, you know, this particular chemical that maybe I just read on a website that it's not great um, where it came out in the news? Really, those decisions should be made from like a policy level. Um, We should be really restructuring our, our chemicals and cosmetics policy. We have these outdated laws that really haven't been updated since 1938. Um, and of course, as, as you know, the cosmetics indus- industry is just rapidly changing all the time, right? Um, and so how do we make sure that we don't have to shop our way out of this? And for a long time, until we had um, you know, things like black and green and all of these different sort of marketplaces, we can really find where to 
buy stuff, um, quote unquote, non-toxic, natural, clean beauty type products, right? Um, that were in all different ranges of affordability. Now we will pause for a moment of meditation with Dr. Crystal Jones. Wherever you are right now, just take a moment to experience your awareness. Notice what you see, notice what you hear, notice what you feel. What do you taste? Notice your being for what it is right now. Take a deep breath in. And as you exhale, let it all the way out. And as you're exhaling, think about that oxygen moving to your heart. Get rid of those toxins that happen from residual volume when we don't completely breathe in and out. As you breathe in and you exhale fully, you're letting go of what's no longer serving you so that the oxygen that comes to your heart allows you to give and receive love with boundaries, but no longer the walls that the toxicity creates. Continue in this breath. Continue in this being. And as you're in this being, start to become the love that you seek in this world. Start to become the forgiveness that you seek in this world. Become the acceptance that you seek in this world. And watch the universe mirror that back to you. I just wanted you to know that I am here always for you, with you. Listen closely. The truth is within my voice. Come back to me as often as you like. I'll be here. Sincerely, your breath. I hope that you enjoyed the meditation with Dr. Crystal. Sometimes we all need a reminder to just stop and take a break, stop and clear our minds, stop and be present. But now we're going to hop back into the conversation with our artisan. I wonder, um, you know, I teach policy and I often teach my students about the policy window and trying to create that, that persuasion to kind of motivate <laughs> policymakers to act in a certain way. And I, I, I would assume, and I don't know a lot about this space, so you know, feel free to hop in, but I would assume that there's a pretty strong lobby against regulating these chemicals because 
I'm assuming that the reason why there a lot of these chemicals are existing in our products is because they do work so well at extended shelf life, which big industry would love because it's uh, the smaller chances of them having, you know, to throw away product, which it decreases their waste. And a lot of these chemicals are really, really inexpensive versus some of the non-toxic alternatives are really expensive. So it could drive off, drive up the price of their products. So I would assume that they would be fighting the policy solution. Am I right? Kind of what does that policy landscape look like? Yeah. So, I mean, I've seen it change the last six years. Um, so, uh, one of the first, um, bills that I've worked on here in California and California has a very different, um, each state is very different about how they look at chemicals policy and, and worker policy and, and cosmetics policy, but California has been the leader in safe cosmetics. Um, so a particular bill that I worked on was just about labeling for um, salon uh, salon products, right? Just to have parity with consumer products. Salon professional products did not have to be labeled. And it was really surprising to me the pushback from industry Um you know, and just having this label um, available for salon workers. And a lot of it was um, kind of a lot of their talking points were, well, you know, it'd be really difficult for workers. That's too much fatigue to understand this information. Um, And so it took, I would say it took about two iterations for that, um, that bill to pass. Um, and so we saw similar things when we were looking for labels on, um, like cleaning products and we found like it was the same people who were opposed. Um, but what I have seen over the last six years in, um, the political sphere is that one, the purchasing power of consumers. So consumers are really driving the market. So, um, these companies now are starting to realize that people are paying attention and so then you have um, you have some of these businesses starting to hop on board. Um, so you have them coming out and saying, "Okay, like we know that eventually some sort of policy that regulates co- cosmetics is going to happen." You have several bills um, that have been introduced on the federal level. Um, okay, how do we start to work with all of these? Um, advocates, community-based organizations, policymakers, businesses, how do we all come together? I think, um, you know, it's very much give and take what we would like, um, you know, this very, like, rigid, comprehensive, um, you know, cosmetics policy that allows the FDA to pull stuff off the shelf, increase their staff so they're able to really test these things. That may not be the exact same thing that these companies want, right? Um, so it's kind of it's kind of an, an interesting sphere because you start to see the, the same people and, and, you know, you come to the table and you're like, okay, how do we work together? Um, on the sort of interesting standpoint uh, or... They're um, breaking the post a little Oh, oh, sorry. Um, the interesting point where you were, um, oh gosh, lost my train of thought. Um, sorry about that. I just want to make sure we got it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you are going to see, um, you're going to see a shift. Um, oh yes. Yeah. So what I was going to say is the interesting point you made about, um, the cost of these, um, chemicals and formulations. Mm-hmm. As people start to have more um, uh, alternative 
chemicals that they want in their product, once these larger companies start to get on board, you're going to see that cost dramatically decrease. And you're going to see from an economic standpoint, right? You're going to see, um, see all of these quote unquote, non-toxic, safer products become cheaper. You already see like Target's got their own line now and, and Walmart's coming out with their own sort of, um, clean, clean cleaning line and things like that. So you're going to start to see this, this industry shift, um, very rapidly. That's awesome. Okay. That's good to know. So while we are waiting on things to shift, what are the rules you follow yourself or where would you tell someone, where should they start if they're trying to cut toxins out of their cleaning routine or out of their skincare routine? Are there just some really big players that they should avoid at all costs? Yeah. So I think, you know, that those sort of differ a little bit per, um, uh, uh, people, I think for me right now, the really big thing for me is fragrance, mm-hmm. uh, because the word fragrance can encompass multitude of different chemicals. And so I'm, um, I'm always like, okay, is it, you know, maybe it's made of essential oils or something else. So I'm always really honing in on fragrance. Um, and you'd be surprised that fragrance isn't everything. Yeah. Everything, you know, I, I go and I'm like, oh, let me buy a new, a new toothpaste and all of a sudden there's fragrance. And I'm like, okay, I really have to think think this through. Um, for everyday consumers who are really kind of concerned about um, what's in their products, I would say, one, you know, educating themselves, uh, particularly for black women. There are resources like uh, the um, – Black Women for Wellness, um, Healthy Heritage, which is also here in California, has some really great information on looking at um, safer alternative products. Um, You can use some really great tools. So there's um, Good Guide, Think Dirty, um, Environmental Working Group has a um, database called the Skin Deep Database, where you can start to look at the products that you are already using. And um, they have uh, various rating systems to tell you, is this, you know, one out of 10, one being bad, 10 being, um, particularly good. Uh, so those are ways that folks can, um, start to, uh, look at the chemicals that are in the products they're using. Um, I know you have a, a, a do you call it a never list? Yes, our toxic 20. The toxic 20 list. Yeah. So, so things like that, um, where folks can say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be fragrance free or parabens or something I really don't want, or sulfates is something I really don't want. Um, when looking at, uh, sunscreen, maybe I don't want oxybenzone. Um, and I, and I'm a huge user of, uh, the black girl sunscreen. Um, you know, and so um, looking at all of these uh, particular chemicals that maybe you personally just don't want to use, um, I would say those tools are the best way to um, to educate themselves. And also, I would say, like, really supporting um, businesses that are trying to do the right thing. We forget how much just power, our purchasing power, especially as black, black women, we like have huge purchasing power. We are, um, you know, like the most highly educated group or like the largest growing group in small businesses. Um, you know, we are this economic driving force. We can shift the market when it comes to the products that are used and marketed to us. Mm, I love that. I mean, I love that idea that we have power 
based off of what we purchase, right? Like simply what you purchase and changing your purchasing habits can shift the industry. And I think that's something that we really kind of preach at Black and Green is that you're, you're voting with your dollar. And every single time that you're you're purchasing something, you're deciding what you value, you're deciding what company gets to live, you're deciding which companies get to thrive and which ones don't. Like you're legitimately voting every dollar you spend. And so I think that's a really good reminder that we have power simply by changing our own habits. Exactly. And, and, you know, and I think as I do this research and I talk to black women and I talk to black salon workers, I just get so excited because of like the potential for us to just grow and blossom, especially in this like cosmetics and beauty space. Um, you know, we came all the way from Madam CJ Walker. Where are we going next? You know, I think the innovation, the purchasing power, the sheer will of black women is just amazing to me. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really awesome. I mean, oftentimes this green beauty and natural products, a lot of people feel like it's just a fad and it's just it's uh, it's just it's something that people are talking about to charge more for products and like, does it really have an impact on health? So can you just talk about some of the research that's emerging that, that is connecting that doesn't, that doesn't just say, Oh, these products, products are toxic. Cause I know we talk about, Oh, products that are, you know, marketed toward black women have more toxic ingredients, but what are the outcomes of being exposed to these toxic ingredients over time? Yeah. So, um, you know, what we're seeing is potentially, you know, reproductive um, uh, health impacts. Um, We're seeing, you know, uh, there are chemicals that could potentially impact your ability to, you know, higher risk for breast cancer. Or um, one thing that I see a lot in the salon workers I work with is occupational asthma, Um, And that's a huge thing when we look at asthma, particularly in the black community, right? Um, So we're seeing all of these potentially adverse health impacts that are starting to be linked to certain chemicals. Um, When we talk about, uh, you know, switching to uh, safer alternative, different products, um, there are a few studies that have shown like switching products can, you know, decrease the amount of parabens in your system or decrease the amount of sulfates or these other chemicals that um, some folks want to avoid. So when people say, well, you know, it's kind of expensive to switch to this other stuff, maybe they you don't know, work as well, or, or you know, what what is all of this clean beauty, you know, safer toxics really about? And then we start to have this research that shows, well, if you do switch to your products, to these less toxic products, um, the amount of chemical burden in your system decreases. Um, And this particular study was looking at Latina girls. So I'm like, you know, when women of color who are using these products more, think about a replication of that study for black women, right? And so we start to get that data of like, oh, if we're switching to these safer alternative products, right, we may have all of this, our our chemical burden dramatically decreased. Mm, That's amazing. I'm really interested and I wish there was a way that people can kind of like measure their own chemical burden so they can see it. I think um, it's like why Fitbits are so popular is people like to measure and see things changing. I think that would be there was a way for people to understand what their current chemical burden is and see how their changes are impacting them. I think that would be really amazing (laughs) and probably encourage people to make the switch. 
Yeah, no. And I, and I highly encourage folks. That would be also a great business idea um, to see. Cause I think people are already starting to quantify various th- different things. You can quantify like your carbon output, you know, so you can say, okay, maybe I won't drive my car as much. Um, you know, why can't we quantify our, our kind of body burden of, um, of chemicals? Why can't we be able to say, okay, like, you know, I, I seem to have a lot of this particular chemical in my system or, or whatever. Um, but I, what I do tell people is that some of this, if you're hearing it for the first time, can be very overwhelming, um, you know, and, and people have so many other things to deal with sometimes. But it's like pick, pick a particular thing, right? Maybe you just want to switch out some of your cleaning products. Maybe you want to switch out like your moisturizer or you want to switch out you know, your lotion or something like that. You can start small, um, you know, as a, as a personal consumer, you can start small. Um, just know that there are folks out there who are really trying to change on a policy and advocacy level. Um, you know, so, so supporting your, your local elected officials who are championing issues like this as well. Yeah. I think that that's really awesome. Um, and those are really good ideas of ways to try to make a change. And for some people, it's just going to be switching to better products. Um, but I, the, some of the research that's been interesting to me is the connection to fibroids. It's because we know that black women tend to have uh, a higher incidence of fibroids compared to our white counterparts. And I wonder, and there's a connection between the chemicals that we're using and in our personal care products and fibroids. And so I just wonder how long has this been going on to kind of build this, this trend that we now see in our community. Yeah, no, I think that was a particularly some interesting articles around um, products we use, breast cancer, fibroids. Um, you know, for a long time, we haven't been doing research, you know, into into these particular issues. Um, and you just need that community-driven, community-participatory research. You need folks who are going to give grants to this work. Um, and that's a huge thing, right? A lot of this work is, is like funded by folks who are interested in knowing more about like breast cancer or interested in knowing more about sort of consumer product safety. Um, and not all the time does that money go to black women organizations or black researchers to do that work. Um, and so we find that if, you know, when there's funding to do research, to ask these questions, right, that's when we start to get some really rich, interesting data. If there's nobody interested in knowing that about the chemical impacts to black women from, you know, certain uh, relaxers or something like that, no one's going to do that work, right? So how do we kind of encourage this also next generation of scientists, um, black women scientists, to start asking these questions and, and uh, kind of veering off this very traditional path? Mm-hmm. Um, and then how do we push foundations and funders to fund this work? Right, right. I mean, I think that's a really good point about the broader messaging of getting people into the work to create the research so we can see exactly what's happening and we can make better informed decisions. And it all kind of goes back to this recognizing it as an issue and making sure that we're getting, you know, more black women scientists and more black women in STEM. And so it all kind of goes hand in hand. Yes, definitely. And I, um, you know, every time I kind of give this 
uh, talk at like conferences and academic conferences and, and people come up and they're like, I didn't even know this was a thing we could study or this is, this was a thing. Right. And so I think it's even like, okay, let's start educating people. Then let's start telling people that they have the power themselves to uh, be part of this research. I think I've worked with, hundreds of salon workers and hundreds of um, community uh, folks for the last, you know, six years, almost thousands now, I guess. Um, and, you know, there are people at various stages and people want to be involved and, and they want to help their fellow sisters and brothers in, in this journey. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing, the work that you're doing to illuminate this issue. You're you're one of a few right now, but hopefully over time and us getting the word out, you'll be one of many to continue to push these messages of understanding the chemicals in our products, get more women scientists doing the research so that way we can lower the burden of toxins in our community and hopefully improve our health outcomes. Yes, definitely. And I think it is... Um The future looks bright, I would say, from what I've seen those last six years. There are more questions being asked, um, you know, more folks going out there and saying, this is important to me and it should be important to you as well. And and I look forward to, you know, the next few years of working on this and um, and just continuing to build relationships and connecting and making sure that all black women go home and happy, healthy, safe. yeah, and the products we use are, are safe for us, right? Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure for all that you have taught us. Yes, thank you so much for having me, and I'm a huge fan of Black thank and Green. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for joining in to listen to another episode of the Black and Green Podcast. Join us next week for our next guest conversation. Thank you for tuning into the Black and Green Podcast. Did you have more questions for our special guest? Please leave your questions in the comment section. Also, check us out at blkgrn.com. Please subscribe and comment. We love hearing from you. Until next time, buy black and live green.